Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. When you come to Christ, you're freed from the power of the devil, but he wants to get influence back in your life to prevent you from ever really progressing and advancing in your relationship with God. He's looking for one area where you start submitting to him rather than to God. And then he's going to try to work his way deeper and deeper into your life. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of Mark. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Mark, chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, in a message titled, Jesus, Men, and Demons. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Jesus asked, what is your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. So this is where it gets really crazy. There's not one demon that's controlling this man. There are many. So this man is possessed by many, many evil spirits. And then here's what happens. Verse 10, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. So there was a large herd of swine feeding They're near the mountains. So all the demons begged him saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission that the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2000 and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So that's bizarre. I mean, why do they want to be cast into the swine? Because they know they have to leave, but they don't want to go to the abyss. That's what they're saying. Don't, don't torment us. Don't throw us in the abyss. And so Jesus actually accommodates them here, and he allows them to go into the swine. Now, their stay in the swine was very brief, as you see, because the swine run down the steep part, part of the cliff, and they're, they're all drowned. So evidently, Jesus granted their initial request, but probably did what needed to be done with them beyond that. But it is a a strange kind of a thing, and we'll come back to seeing just why Jesus did that in a moment. But before we do that, we have to look at Jesus here now. And what we have to do is we have to see the connection between this event and the previous story. Going back to the fourth chapter, remember we talked last week about the storm. But what I didn't say about the storm last week, I want to say today, because see, these two stories are connected. This happens after the storm. When Jesus said, let's go over to the other side, this is where they're going. They're going to the other side to meet this man. Now, of course, they don't know that. Of course, Jesus does know it. 
And remember that suddenly there was this windstorm, and we talked about how that can even happen today on the Sea of Galilee. We talked about the elevation of the sea and we, the surrounding mountains and the wind and all of that can come, that can come through. And that's all true from a natural standpoint, but there's probably another explanation as well. That storm was probably stirred up by the devil himself. So here's what's happening. Jesus is going to the other side for the express purpose of freeing this man from demonic control and the devil is trying to stop him before he can get there. But he's undaunted because Jesus was on a mission to seek and to save the lost. Nothing's going to stop him from getting to this man. And so that is why he crossed the sea in the first place. When he said, let's go over to the other side, it was because he knew that there was a person who was tormented by multiple devils who had been completely abandoned by all of the rest of humanity but he came to seek and to save that which was lost. This guy was as lost as you could ever get. But Jesus goes on this mission to find him. And I think that is astounding. And the other thing that we see here is the mercy and the compassion of Jesus. Why did Jesus go after him in the first place? Now listen, you do not become demon-possessed passively. What I mean by that is, you know, it's not like somebody just is you know, minding their own business and suddenly, you know, thousands of demons come and just take up residence in your body. It doesn't work that way. There has to be some previous engagement with the demonic world in order for this kind of possession to happen. So what that tells us is this man had, in a sense, brought this on himself through trafficking with demons. So that's why Jesus would later say, go back and tell everybody the compassion that the Lord has had on you. You see, this man, it wasn't like he really deserved to be delivered. He had put himself in this position. You know, sometimes we kind of think that about people, don't we? We think, well, you know what? They got what they deserved. And maybe that's true. But guess what? God doesn't think that way, thank God. <laughs> no, Yes, he, he did, in a sense, get what he deserved. But it didn't stop Jesus from having mercy on him. And it didn't stop Jesus from having compassion toward him. And it didn't stop Jesus from doing everything that needed to be done to get to him. Now, there are two things that I want us to see as we wrap up the story here. First of all, I want us to see the tragedy here in the story. There is a tragic aspect to it. And we see it as we read on here. In verse 14, so those who fed the swine fled and they told it in the city and in the country and they went out to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened and 
to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine, here's the tragedy. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. Wow. How, that is unbelievable. How could that be? Here's this man that was in the state that we've seen that he was in, and now he's perfectly normal. He's clothed. The other gospel writers tell us he was naked. You know, Matthew actually tells us there were two men, not just one. Mark focuses in on the one, probably the most vicious one. But Matthew tells us there were two. But it's obvious that something amazing has happened. Something wonderful has happened. But the people, they instead of, I mean, you would think that they would say, oh, Jesus, would you come home with us and We've got all kinds of things that we need you to deal with. You would think that they would do that, but they didn't do that. Instead, they were afraid, and they said, you need to leave. Why would they do that? Well, this is what I think. I think that they wanted Jesus to leave because he was bad for business. See, these 2,000 pigs did not, these weren't pets. This wasn't somebody just liked pigs and had 2,000 of them. This was a business. And remember, as I said, the land, although at the time was given over to Gentiles, it was still the land of Israel. And you know what you could not do in Israel is you could not raise pigs to eat pork because it was against the Mosaic law. But this was their business, and obviously it was lucrative, and they saw Jesus as bad for business. Now, I don't think this is just my imagination, because we see this happening many times, even down to this very day. When Jesus comes in and changes people's lives, sometimes it it messes up business for other people, and they don't like it. And that was the tragedy of the day, that they pushed Jesus out, but the triumph was the man himself. And look at the man. The demons were expelled, and the man was restored. And what a great, great verse we have here as it describes the man himself, that the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion was now sitting and clothed and in his right mind. Amazing. What an amazing thing. The full and complete deliverance. You know, again, looking at the man for a moment, from the human standpoint, this guy was hopeless. Nobody could do anything for him. And you know, there's still people today that when when you look at them, you think, this person's hopeless. There's nothing that can be done for them. Don't count them out because Jesus can do for them what he did for this man. There, there are people today that are possessed like this person was. And society can't help them. And nowadays, you know, they used to institutionalize people that were possessed like this, but now they just say, we, you know, we're not even going to do that anymore. You just go hit the streets. And I think on the streets of California, you will find people today that have this kind of demonization like this man had. Not everybody, but, but there are definitely some. 
But even in those cases, they're not beyond the help and the grace of God. And we can't forget that. So the man is restored and then the mission is extended. So here's the thing that's so interesting. Jesus, he's going to the other side, but but the people there reject him. They say, no, get in the boat and go back where you came from. And Jesus complies. But what does he do? This man says, I want to go with you. And Jesus says, no. Isn't that funny? Jesus says, no, I I want to go with you. You know, sometimes we want to go do something for the Lord. Lord, I want to go do that. He says, no, no. What do you mean? No, I want to do something. Okay, here's what you do. Go back to your family. Go back to your home. Go back to the life you had previously and let them see and tell them the great things that God has done for you. And that's what this guy did. So the mission, although seemingly a failure on the surface because they rejected Jesus and told him to go back. No, the mission was extended because now here's an ambassador for Christ in the Decapolis. He's there and he's going through the city, through those 10 cities. He probably just went on a missionary venture to those 10 cities. And he would go in and people would look at him undoubtedly, you know, kind of like the story in uh, John chapter nine, where there's a blind man who's healed. And people are like, wait, is that the blind guy? Okay, kind of looks like him, but no, no, I don't think it's him. Yeah, no, it is him. And I'm sure this was the same situation. This guy comes through town. They're like, wait, isn't that the guy that was in the tombs? Isn't that the guy that was bound with chains? No, that can't be him. No way. That guy's normal. That guy's full of joy. He's kind. He's generous. He's loving. He's all the things he was not. People are like, man, it sure looks like him, but no way. Couldn't be him. But it was him. And he went back to those places. And he did as Jesus told him to do. And it was go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had compassion on you. And you know, I always think this, whenever we go anywhere and do gospel ministry, I always think of like, you know, who's like the demonized person in the town? <laughs> you know, who's that, who's that one person that, man, if they got saved, everybody would just go, okay, there's got to be a God because there actually is no explanation for this apart from that. And, and seriously, I mean, you want to see that happen. Because quite often, that can be so impactful. So that's what happens. Now, in closing, the case here is obviously an extreme case. And so this isn't something that you would, you know, find regularly. This this possession by this multitude of of demons. Uh, The only other place where we have a, a reference to a person being possessed with more than one demon is actually in the case of Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, we're told, was possessed by seven demons. Jesus cast seven demons out of her. And these are the only two where you have this multiple thing. So this is an extreme case. But as I said, this type of possession still can occur today. We used to think that this was relegated to, well, you know, in certain places where the gospel's never gone, And there's, you know, intense 
darkness and idolatry and all that. Certain cultures, you would find it there, but you won't find it in the West because of the Christianized culture that we have. And, you know, maybe there was some truth to that a little bit anyway. But the, the more the Western world moves away from the gospel and the influence of the gospel, the more you see this kind of stuff resurfacing. And people now, even non-believers, are beginning to recognize, like, like uh, Jode, the philosopher, did, they're beginning to recognize, you know, there are some things that just cannot really be explained by human sinfulness or by human wickedness. And when you think of the mass shootings that we've had over the past few years, and, you know, every time you have one of those, you go back and you find there's some weird sort of demonic thing that's happening, or you see it in the terrorist attacks. And remember, Satan is a murderer. So whenever you see murder and these mass murders, you know that the hand of the devil is in this. And, you know, some of these guys that have committed these these atrocities, you, you see them in the courtroom and you see they're just blank. And, you know, they find out that they've been into all kinds of bizarre, you know, dabbling into Satanism and things like that. It's, it's a reality today. These things happen today. And how does anyone ever come from a place like that? Well, Christ alone is the one who can free people from that. And, you know, even those who have murdered, even those who have mass murdered, you know, there, there are people in prison today who would be considered mass murderers. And, you know, in the prisons, they've come to faith. And so deliverance comes through Jesus. Now, just a couple of other things really quick. So, like I said, we're looking at an extreme case here, but I want us to see that there's application for us as well. Because the Bible also talks about the possibility of Christians coming under some control by the devil. Now, I do not believe the Bible teaches that a Christian can be demon-possessed, like anything like we read here, that a demon can indwell you or anything like that. I think the Bible teaches against that. But the Bible does teach that the devil is always looking to take advantage of us and to get like a stronghold in our lives. And so we have to be aware of that. And areas of our lives that we, through disobedience, potentially yield over to the enemy, we can come into a place where we are all bound up because of the influence of Satan that we have allowed him to have. Paul put it like this in writing to the Ephesians. He said, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, nor give place or a foothold to the devil. See, Paul says there are things that you can do that will actually give the devil an opportunity to get a grip on your life. In writing to the Corinthians, he says something similar. He urges them to forgive one another, lest Satan take advantage of you. You see, as Christians, when we start dabbling into sin, and when we intentionally move in the direction of disobedience, we open ourselves up to the enemy getting a grip on our lives. And we don't want to do that. And listen, drugs, alcohol, pornography, these are the idols of the day. These are the demon's tools of the trade, so to speak. 
And the enemy uses these kind of things to try to advance his mission, which is to rob, to kill, and destroy. You know, when you come to Christ, you're freed from the power of the devil, but he wants to get influence back in your life to prevent you from ever really progressing and advancing in your relationship with God. And if he can get you involved in these kinds of things, then he will succeed. It's a foothold. That's all he's looking for. He's looking for one area where you start submitting to him rather than to God. And then he's going to try to work his way deeper and deeper into your life. So recognize that that's a reality and don't let that happen. Obey the Lord. Follow him. Submit to him. Those things that that you know he tells us not to be involved in just stay as far away from those things as you can. And so we, you know, we, we don't want to go with the culture. We don't want to go with, well, hey, you know, it's, that's not a problem anymore because now it's been legalized. It's still the same thing. It's still, you know, they call marijuana the gateway drug. It is more than the gateway drug to other drugs. It's a gateway into the demonic. You know, the New Testament word for sorcery and witchcraft, the Greek word is pharmakia. Figure that out really quick. What does that word sound like to you? Sounds like pharmaceutical, right? And it's a reference to illicit drugs, which have been used all the way back into biblical times in the context of witchcraft and sorcery. And having been one who experimented with drugs when I was younger, I, and I remember it was like a portal right into the demonic realm. And that's what it is. So we don't want to mess with this stuff. Because know this, the devil has no friends. The devil only always hates you and is set on your destruction And if he can fool you into thinking that he's actually on your side, well, he's happy to do that too. But listen, that's what he does. He's a destroyer. That's a name given to him in scripture. He's a destroyer. He only has hatred, deep-seated hatred for you. And not just for you as a Christian. He really hates you as a Christian because you can actually, you know, damage his kingdom. But you know, the devil hates every human being. Why? Because every human being is made in the image of God. And every human being reminds the devil of God that he doesn't want to acknowledge. And every human being is loved by God. And so if the devil can just wreak havoc on humanity in his twisted mind, this is just getting back at God. So the devil has no friends. And all those people that think that they're the friend of the devil and they can't wait to party with him in hell, you got a rude awakening coming. There is no party in hell. The devil doesn't rule in hell. He's going to be the guy in the deepest, darkest chamber of it, experiencing the greatest torment of all. So these are real things, and they're not to be trifled with. But 
as we already pointed out, the great news is that Christ overcame the principalities, the powers, the authorities, these dark forces. He overcame them on the cross. He defeated them. And it's only a matter of time before that victory is displayed universally. And that's what we're doing. Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Another Gospel by Elisa Childers. Deconstructed faith stories are being celebrated in our culture today. Abuse in the church, dismissed doubts, legalism, and suffering are only a handful of factors that are leading Christians to question their faith. In her book, Another Gospel, Elisa Childers shares her own journey of doubt and struggle that led her to re-examine her own faith and ultimately overcome the challenges of her faith. In this book, she battles progressive Christianity with evidence, insight, and clarity. To learn how to combat and survive the onslaught of progressive Christianity, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order another gospel by Elisa Childers. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of Mark. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.